Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Coming up on Studios America, I'll try to make sense of the conflicting reporting on Ukraine with Jason Buttrell. Wish us luck. Andrew Cuomo suddenly has a problem with cancel culture after canceling so many of our loved ones in New York. Get the real story without the liberal spin with a subscription to Blaze TV. Head to blazetv.com slash stew. Enter the promo code stew because that's how they know. You like this stupid show and you'll save 10 bucks. And gas prices are getting so high you think they were hanging out with Snoop Dogg at the Super Bowl halftime show, which I saw in person, mostly not high. Anyway, things are getting bad. So let's do the oil apocalypse. Stu does America. Welcome to the apocalypse, everybody. Things are going super, super well. Have you seen the gas prices all around the country? Oh, my. They're getting very high. How about Portland? Portland, you got $6.29 for regular, $6.59 for plus, $6.79 mm-hmm, for V power, which I guess is premium. Uh, then over in L.A., you've got $6.71 for regular, $6.71 for regular, for regular. At least it only goes up by two cents for the upgraded uh, versions of the gas, $6.75 for premium. And then you have this gas station, which has it at $6.63 for regular, $6.87 for special, and $6.95 for super. Of course, that one is actually literally from the I Am Legend zombie apocalypse movie starring Will Smith. Yes, society crumbled in that movie when gas hits 6.63 a gallon. It's 6.71 in LA right now. Yes, we're doing really, really well, everybody. Congratulations. I think we all deserve a round of applause. I think at I Am Legend, he had to kill his dog at the end of that movie. Um, and the only difference between that society and the one we're in now is Biden's dogs are attacking Secret Service agents, which is a little bit different of a spin on uh, essentially the same story. We're in the apocalypse, everybody. That's where we are. It's kind of scary. And I, I think people are looking at this Ukraine-Russia story and saying, how is this going to affect us? Is this worth paying attention to? I mean, sure, none of us want nuclear missiles to be flying uh, over uh, the polar ice caps. But other than that, is it really going to hit us? And the answer, of course, to that is unfortunately, yes, this is not a faraway story. This is a you and I everyday life sort of story. This is the sort of story when you go to the gas pumps, you're going to be affected by it in a very, very big way. And of course, there is a pretty easy solution to all of this, which is, I don't know, giving the world a, a more robust oil supply something that we can do very, very easily here in the United States of America. But when you look at the way our uh, administration is reacting, you see, even if you paint it in the most positive light, they are trying to find oil from other nations like Iran, like Venezuela, because we simply will not open up our own supply. We will not supply the world with oil because... Our administration has decided to think that, look, long term, 
we don't want to get this uh, opened up because it's going to affect our plans with global warming. So sit back, relax, watch the apocalypse develop as we sit back and try to pester other uh, angry nations, nations that will use the money we're giving them to buy oil uh, to do all sorts of terrible things to their own people and people in their regions, because right now we have different priorities. We can't be bothered to do it ourselves. We can't be bothered to encourage Canada to do it. We can't be bothered to do, uh, bother other friendly nations to increase their supply. Instead, we're going to sit back and watch as the apocalypse develops. And everybody in California is paying $6.71 a gallon. It is absolutely unbelievable. But they don't want to start these long-term projects because they don't want to sit here and watch as the uh, negative consequences hit us uh, because, you know, look, we've got global warming to deal with. Remember, that's the existential threat. That's the greatest existential threat we all face is a 0.9 degrees temperature rise over a century. Sure, there are explosions going off all over Ukraine. And sure, we, we face a massive, massive oil issue right now. But instead of dealing with that right now or preparing for this in the past years, we've decided to go the other direction and turn these nozzles and faucets off. So we are no longer producing the oil that we were just a few years ago when President Trump was president. And, and look, you know, people like to go and be critical about President Trump. Obviously, the media is built to its, its entire um, uh, viewership plan on just wrecking Donald Trump. But Trump went very clearly to the Germans and others and said, hey, you shouldn't be depending on Russia. Russia is a bad actor for all the beating that Donald Trump took about Russia. Yeah, he did say things that made me feel really uncomfortable about Vladimir Putin. But I mean, the bottom line is he didn't really seem to mean them. <laughs> you know, Donald Trump is uh, has had a, uh, a loose relationship with the truth at times. But a lot of that has to do with him being in a constant state of negotiation. Does anyone believe he's really friends with Kim Jong-un? I mean, I don't think that was ever true. He just believed it was the best thing for him to say at that time to you know, better his negotiating position. It's a position that I think makes a lot of Americans, including myself, at times uncomfortable. But I don't think anybody believes he was actually friends and buddies with Kim Jong-un or Vladimir Putin. The bottom line is he was constantly negotiating in public, in private, all the time. And one of the things he said was he would say these things, you know, and, and at times they would seem too friendly towards a, you know, a brutal killer as a dictator. But his policies were much more harsh toward Russia than either President Biden's are or President Obama's were. Uh, there's a reason why you saw President uh, Obama see an invasion from Russia. You saw President Biden getting an invasion from Russia. And you didn't see one when Donald Trump was president. He treated these things differently. Listen to him talk to the Germans about their plans to import and become, uh, uh, become dependent on Russia for natural gas. Look at not only what Donald Trump says, which he's basically calling uh, the situation that winds up occurring, but look at the smug response from the Germans at the end of this video. They're laughing at him. And look where we are now. Reliance on a single foreign supplier can leave a nation vulnerable to extortion and intimidation. That is why we congratulate European states such as Poland, 
for leading the construction of a Baltic pipeline so that nations are not dependent on Russia to meet their energy needs. Germany will become totally dependent on Russian energy if it does not immediately change course. Here in the Western Hemisphere, we are committed to maintaining our independence from the encroachment of expansionist foreign powers. Ah, they think it's funny. Do they still think it's funny? Is it still a funny joke? Germany, do you get the right to laugh at anyone else after what you've done over the past hundred years, Germany? Do you? Do you ever get to laugh? I think laughing should be banned in Germany after what you've put the world through over the past century or so. No more laughing for you, Germany. And you certainly don't get to laugh as you're building a pipeline from Russia that you yourself have now had to shut down because Donald Trump was right all that time. And Donald Trump, by the way, wasn't the only one that was right. In fact, even it wasn't even just conservatives who were right on this. Anybody who knew anything about Russia thought this was a bad idea. And you continued to go along as if you could somehow will Vladimir Putin into being nice. He's not nice. Trish Regan points out the energy policy of this administration has been nothing short of disastrous. We don't have the bandwidth to get energy online today, thanks to Biden killing Keystone. ESG, PC nonsense, forced institutional investors to shun investment in energy projects. $200 oil. Here we come. We hit 130 over the weekend. I think it backed off to about 120 today. But it is really, really high, as high as we've seen it in a very, very long time. To the point that even the guy who's building spaceships He's building ships to outer space so that someday we can avoid the evils of fossil fuel uh, fueled caused global warming. Even that guy is saying, uh, time to open the spigots. Elon Musk tweets, hate to say it, but we need to increase oil and gas output immediately. Extraordinary times demand extraordinary measures. Obviously, this would negatively affect Tesla, his company, but sustainable energy solutions simply cannot react instantaneously to make up for Russian and oil and gas exports. That's an amazing, uh, that's an amazing thing for a guy like Elon Musk to say. And he's being, of course, real and accurate. He sees the promise long term in solar. He's got a damn solar company. He's well, he's also got a flamethrower company, but that's a totally different situation. He's got an electric car company. And yet here he is saying oil and gas. Yeah, we got to do this until we we can't be dependent. We're not depending on Russia anymore. If that's in our rearview mirror, we can move on to these other things. And as crazy as that sounds to many conservatives, it's pretty consistent with the conservative view of the world. The conservative view of the world is not that we should never use solar power. It's not that we should never use wind power. It's not that we should never use renewables. We should use them when they're ready. That's the difference between us and the Democrats. When they're ready and better, let's use them. When they're not, let's not. That's the conservative position. The liberal position is use them whether they're good or not. Use them whether they're affordable or not. Use them whether poor people are going to be able to afford the energy they generate or not. Musk goes on to say, obviously, this, uh, excuse me, hopefully, uh, it is now extremely obvious that Europe should restart 
dormant nuclear power stations and increase power output of existing ones. This is critical to national and international security. For those who mistakenly think this is a radiation risk, pick what you think is the worst location. I will travel there and eat locally grown food on TV. I did this in Japan many years ago, shortly after Fukushima. Radiation risk is much, much lower than most people believe. We've gone over this many, many times on this program. There's only, it's one of the safest forms of electricity ever developed by human beings. Um, you know, And this comes from a guy that didn't eat locally sourced food, really wanted to, to visit Chernobyl and would have eaten locally sourced food. But... I will say this, at least I did eat, drink some Roundup on TV. I did that much for you. I don't know how many substances I can pour into myself. Honestly, I'm not that healthy. So saving me is really not uh, that much of a... I, what substance could I possibly pour down in my gullet that, that would be worse than Taco Bell? I mean, I'm eating that almost every day. So, look, it's tempting to want to blame all of this on President Biden. I get that. And that's ridiculous. But, you know, I will say this. You probably should put nearly all the blame on him. <laughs> uh, you could certainly blame him for making it all worse. You could certainly blame him for being incompetent. And you can certainly blame him for his complete and constant signal of weakness to the world. Vladimir Putin is the one who invaded Ukraine, and he deserves the blame for that. But we loosened our policies toward Russia when Biden got into office. We moved to limit our own energy production and therefore our energy independence when Biden got into office. And we showed Vladimir Putin over and over again that we would not stand in his way. We showed him with our moves on Russia and with oil. We showed him with our response or lack thereof in Hong Kong. And we stood up on the highest mountain and put up a giant glowing marquee announcing our weakness with our pathetic and embarrassing fiasco in Afghanistan. Biden's weakness didn't make Russia invade. It just made it easier and more likely. And now the Ukrainian people are suffering. Our economy is suffering. And we're all suffering at the gas pump. I didn't have high hopes for a Biden presidency. I thought he would suck. But this has been a masterclass on how to suck beyond all human recognition. Only Joe Biden could bring about an era where we could literally make things a little better if we could only go through a zombie apocalypse. With everything going on in the world, the wine, it's a flowing. You're probably flowing at your house a little more than normal. When you're on the hunt for a new wine, you have two options. You could wander around your local grocery store and, you know, pick bottles at random. Cool. Oh, that's a cool label. Or you can get personalized wines you'll love de uh, delivered right to your door at a fraction of the cost. That comes from First Leaf. It's a wine club that curates and ships wines that are personalized to your tastes, allowing you to discover wines from five continents, 12 countries. When you rate the wine that you receive, First Leaf learns more about your palate. So you are not only being introduced to a ton of new wine, uh, each First Leaf box uh, gets better and better and better over time. First Leaf is so confident you'll love the wine. They have a 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you receive a bottle that isn't exactly what you were hoping for, First Leaf will credit your account. If you love finding and tasting new wine, First Leaf is a no-brainer. Join today. You'll get six bottles of wine for only $29.95 and free shipping. I'm not a mathematician. That's a lot of wine for not a lot of money. 
Go to first leaf. Uh, go to tryfirstleaf.com slash stew. Tryfirstleaf.com slash stew. Six bottles of wine, twenty nine ninety five. Free shipping at tryfirstleaf.com slash stew. Check it out now. I'm joined once again by Jason Buttrell. He's a head writer and researcher for Glenn Beck and all-around war nerd. Jason, <laughs> welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Uh, let me uh, start with some maps, because every good show, every good podcast starts with a map. Of course. Uh, so these are from the New York Times. Let's take a look at these and tell me what ha- is right, what's wrong, and is this about the, where this, the state of the war is. This first map we have is sort of the southern area of invasion. They obviously already had Crimea. They've come onto the, you know, onto the coast. Uh, I, I mean, the reports that Ukraine had to scuttle their own, uh, their own, uh, like, head of their navy, like the, the, the main ship of their, the central ship of their navy, as that was described. This is, I mean, this seems to be where they're making the most progress, maybe. Yeah, um, and if, so when you look at some of these, like, videos and analysis of some of the troops that are moving out of Crimea, um, a lot of people have talked about, like, the designators. I think you've seen on some of the, uh, the uh, military uh, equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see the Z. That's been pretty notorious. Um, the Z designator on a lot of the equipment means that it came from the mainland, the eastern side, the main thrust. Okay. Um, when you look at the Crimean forces, it's a Z with a box around it. Okay. Just for reference when you look at these. And I was looking at a ton of equipment with a Z with a box around it in the south here that is getting either captured or completely destroyed. Mm. So I say that to set up that on this map, um, I have issues with how some like people like the Times are doing this because they just kind of block off that entire area above Crimea as being taken, yes. and that's not the case. So the Russians are advancing up basically like freeways and roads, and they have areas along those roads, but they don't control the, the entire territory. All around the roads, they're just, they're just that's exactly. just where they're advancing. Exactly, mm-hmm. and when they venture off those roads and they try, that's when they're getting into trouble. That's when they're getting hit with, um, you know, uh, U.S. and NATO um, anti-tank weaponry. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when uh, you're seeing a lot of the, the forces, uh, Russian forces that are giving up, actually turning over their gear and getting taken. That, that's not to say that they're not making, you know, some progress in this area. It's just very slow, and it's not a all what the Russians expected to get. Mm-hmm. Now, Kherson is the one city there, and it's in... I mean, I, I like to think of this as... Because no one knows. Let's, let's be honest about it. No one knows what the map of Ukraine looks like. No one knows where these country, where these cities are. This is basically like if the the Russians were invading the southeast of the United States, they've taken Florida, they've taken uh, Georgia, a little bit of Alabama, maybe a little Mississippi, uh, working up the Carolinas, up that up that region. Um, and Kirsten is kind of down there in the Alabama, Mississippi sort of vicinity. And they do seem to have that city under control, but that might be the only city they have under their actual control. Which is very telling on how this invasion is going, um, because Russia did not expect this. I think that from what I'm looking at, they expected probably a 72-hour war. They expected more Ukrainians to be on their side, mm. um, which if it, it, it kind of harkens back to in 2014, uh, when the Russians were completely taken by surprise with all of the pro-Ukraine and negative Russia sentiment that mm-hmm. was more in the western, mid to western part of Ukraine. Um, there was rumors that Putin fired his entire FSB staff that was focused on Ukraine. They screwed it up that badly. Mm. Um, but they, the paratroopers that they sent in at the beginning of the war, most of them got decimated, including a, a general that I don't know if you saw over the weekend. Mm. One of their generals got killed as well. He was in Syria fighting um, as well. But their, their paratroopers are basically just glorified uh, you know, riot control police. Okay. Um, pretty much what they were. They expected to jump in, into a, a zone that wasn't going to be hot. They would land, and they would basically just kind of round up all the Ukrainians and say, welcome to your new overlord and leaders. 
That did not happen. Uh, the Ukrainians fought back pretty badly. And then just uh, you mentioned Kherson. That's really the only city that we have, you know, you know, clarification or, you know, verification that they've taken. And over the weekend, there were Ukrainians coming out. There's no troops in Kherson, Ukrainian troops. Uh, they, they retreated back. Mm -hmm. um, but the people came out and they were protesting against soldiers with live ammunition firing in all sorts of directions. Jeez. Now, I say that, that to show that all the forces that I've seen that are in towns like Kherson, well, that's really the only one, they don't have the numbers to occupy a hostile area. Like this is very quickly going to turn into Red Dawn, you know, not the not the new crappy Red Dawn, the <laughs> 1980s Red Dawn. Right. But not the one where they like they photoshopped out the Chinese army and turned <laughs> right. into a North Korean one. Right. Okay. So, stupid. Um, so, uh, so let's look at uh, another map here. This is kind of like uh, now we're talking about the New England. Uh, the Russians has invaded the New, <laughs> new England of America, uh, upper uh, east side, if you would, um, and. You can see, like, they have big arrows saying the directions of recent Russian advances towards Kiev. Kiev does have some um, some pressure coming at it from the north as well. Are, are they? We I feel like I get reports that are disagreeing with each other. Are they? Getting close to Kiev, are they just trying to surround it and then going to wait it out? What is their plan here? So the goal, the initial goal was to surround Kiev. That, that was the initial goal, and they thought it was going to be a whole lot easier mm. um, than it was. Um, again, I just want to highlight again all those areas that the Times is saying are controlled are not. That's not very accurate. It's um, they they control. You know, you saw that one convoy, which is kind of like this, that, that bottom arrow, long arrow. Yeah. That convoy was moving along that line. They're so depleted of logistics that it's just sitting there now. They don't have fuel. They don't have uh, uh, ammunition. They don't have water, food, stuff like that. So it's just kind of sitting there. They're camped out in the countryside there around their vehicles. It's insane. Um, but yeah, the goal is to eventually surround them. So what, um, what's going to happen is that the Ukrainians are to continue to retreat back off. That's the same forces that like in the south at Kherson. The, the goal is to fight as long as they can. Then when it's completely dire, retreat back to a major city and then they turn it into urban com combat. That's what's going on right now. Russia wants to push them as far into Kiev as they can and then surround them. And then as all logistical support for for Ukraine uh, gets cut off, then they're forced to capitulate. That's exactly what they did in Grozny. Um, that is bad for everyone involved, right? So that's, the, ugly, that's ugly. Grozny that's, was ugly. Ugly. Um, you saw the same thing in Aleppo, you know, in Syria, where um, Russia doesn't really follow the rules. They just kind of push everyone into a big urban environment and then cluster bomb the heck out of it, you know, bomb indiscriminately. Um, and again, that's what happened in Grozny. Eventually, mm -hmm. there's no troops left or they just they're just so you know, devastated. They have no choice but to capitulate. Yeah, just, and at that point, though, all you have to oversee is a city of rubble. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's nothing. I mean, there's nothing left of Grozny. There's nothing left of Aleppo. Right. Well, there's that, just a big pile of rubble. And that's that's pretty much. I think that that's Putin's last resort. Now, I don't think he wants to go there because the international outcry will be insane. If you have Grozny in Kiev. That's going to be insane. That's where things are going to kick up another notch, and that's another headache. So I think you and I were talking off air earlier this morning. You know, why isn't Russia using their air force? Like, they have a humongous air force. Yeah. Why aren't they using their bombs, you know, their, their planes to bomb, you know, as, as much as they should? But I, I think it's because of that, out, that outcry that would happen. Um, they don't have as many precision-guided weapons, um, and they've used a lot of them in, in the mm -hmm. war in Syria. 
Um, so when they're dropping a lot of these munitions, it's not like the precision, precision guided ones that you see, like, you know, from the U.S. where they're, you know, following GPS or whatever and going out and striking something very sure. specific. Mm -hmm. They're dropping cluster bombs and then wiping out the entire area. Um, that could be one of the reasons why we haven't seen much of the Air Force uh, out. Uh, another could just be the, uh, the Ukrainians have been very surprising in their, in their surface air defense. They really have. It's it's kind of surprised me. There's been U.S. like stingers. That's more when you hear that. That's not targeting jets. Mm -hmm. um, that's targeting more like helicopters. They're okay. flying, you know, low altitude. Okay. But regardless, the, the way they're using both their long range surface air missiles defense and their short range, it's been impressive. Um, as we uh, we talk, we can show you that this is the map of the uh, of the entire country, just so you get a, a general sense of it, uh, showing these two zones at the same time. But. But just stepping away from the maps here for a second, is the right way to think about this is Vladimir Putin saw uh, uh, um, uh, Ukraine and saw it as part of Russia, believed, the, generally speaking, the people of Ukraine would side with him. He'd go in there, essentially be viewed as a liberator. We've heard that before. And what would be, uh, this would be easy. Now he's realizing, okay, that's not the case. I can't back off and say, oh, well, sorry, guys. Uh, now that you've shut down my economy, let me go back to my borders. He's not going to admit defeat. He's going to come in, and now he's changing st uh, st uh, strategies, probably going to dump in more troops, going to dump in. The, the, air, the, the, uh, the flights may come soon, and he's going to totally change tactics. And now this is going to be a longer war with a lot more damage. And uh, we're looking at a, a real nightmare here for the next maybe year or two. Yeah, I mean, anytime an attacking army goes into it, they always expect it to be a short engagement. They don't expect it to be a three year mm -hmm. you know, ordeal. Um, the fallacy with the Russian you know, uh, strategy here is that, yeah, they, they misinterpreted a lot. Uh, they misinterpreted the will of the Ukrainian people. They misinterpreted how, how fiercely they were going to defend and how capable their uh, their military was, which is kind of wild yeah, because doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, Russia's like there, there. Did you see that there was this weekend there was an FSB whistleblower that released something. It's been uh, coordinated by multiple different credible people that said this does indeed look like a real whistleblowing event. Okay, but he was saying that this is going to this is going disastrously. It's going to end in calamity, um, probably on both ends on Ukraine and Russia. Both of them will have a hard time recovering from this. But he also said that this was all done without informing the intelligence services, without really consulting the intelligence services, which is weird, very weird, as if, you know, the upper echelons and Putin were worried that this was going to get out or I don't know what. But, you know, we're seeing the result of it now. They're just not prepared. They didn't know what to expect from Ukrainian people. They didn't know what to expect from their military. It's really strange. And, you know, when you say, you know, how this started, whether he just thinks that Ukraine is part of Russia. I hesitate to even go into it because, you know, nuance has been eliminated from this completely. Sure. You're not allowed to talk about what's in Putin's mind, except that he's Hitler, you know, mm -hmm, basically. Mm -hmm. I think that the, the global community, including NATO, the European Union, I think that they did a lot of things that were not necessary. Um, and again, I, I'm not saying that, you know, this is all their fault. I'm just saying you get, they gave them, Putin, another excuse to do what he's doing. Like, why did, and again, don't read this the wrong way, but why did NATO just not come out and say, hey, we're not allowing Ukraine into yeah, NATO? Yeah. Why didn't the EU they, say, they, look, they, it's, it's a very, it's a very uh, common thing for us to say, look, you can't be so corrupt, you know, as a, as a country. Mm -hmm. We're not going to let you into the European Union. 
They could have said that. Yeah, and that would have toned this down. I mean, I don't know that it stops Putin, but it certainly would have lessened the amount of excuses he had to do this. Right. And like, look, we did tell him back in the 90s, uh, we told Russia, hey, we're not going to we're not going to expand NATO towards Russia. And we did it anyway. I mean, uh, we did tell him that initially, though it wasn't formalized. That was their impression. And we did it anyway. We, we And Ukraine is the buffer state. And yeah. that's that's one of the things I keep telling people who say, I, I, what do I care about this? It's all the way over there. Why is it a big deal? Well, first of all, you're going to have the economic consequences, uh, which we went into already. But like also, this is a buffer state for us. Right? We don't want a border of NATO and Russia. We want something in between. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, that's why it's important to hold it. We don't want Russia to expand to the West until it bumps into the borders of, you know, Lithuania uh, and other, you know, Latvia and Estonia and all all of the country, Poland, all these countries there, because then we are always on the verge of World War III. Right. And what you described, what we don't want, we we, are what we want. We want them to be a buffer state exactly the same motivation on the Russian side as well. Mm. They're thinking the same thing. They want Russia, who has always pretty much been neutral, um, to be neutral. Now, that misstep was when Yanukovych was president and completely reversed course and went and sided with uh, Russia. To the West, that was a red line because then he was moving that buffer state, you know, over. Um, But now, and it's hard to say what's in Putin's mind because he's acted so crazy over the past, you know, week and a half or so. But um, my, my sense is that that is what he's ultimately looking for here. He's looking for, and, and actually the third round, of, I think it was the third round of negotiations that are going on right now, and they just published uh, what Russia's demands were. Number one was Ukraine changes their uh, uh, constitution that says they will not seek uh, membership with the European Union or NATO. Mm-hmm. That's always been the top thing. They removed the denazification thing, which I thought was interesting. The second one was that they would uh, recognize Crimea as part of Russia. Gonna be tough. That's gonna be tough. Mm-hmm. And then they also recognize the Eastern breakaway regions as separate and sovereign. So uh, supposedly that's what Russia is saying will we'll end this conflict. It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. Tra- you know, trusting I, Putin is not. I, a and the tough thing is smart too. Thing. If Ukraine, I think Ukraine's going to say, "No, this is our country. What do you mean? You're not going to take, you know, a, you know, ten percent of our country. We're just going to be excited about it." But the West, knowing that what they care about is themselves, which is our right, right? We should care about what what, what affects us. This ending and those few regions going to him, which may have been his initial uh, idea anyway. We talked about that at the beginning. It would be an outcome I think a lot of people in Europe would be happy with. Yeah, I, will, I do too. And yeah, I, th- I think that um, that was, I, th- I personally believe that was his original goal was to achieve Crimea as being recognized and those two breakaway regions as sovereign. Um, I think he threw that out the window when the West wasn't willing to negotiate with him at all, um, mostly about the EU membership and the NATO membership. So then I think it was kind of just out of spite. He was like, all right, screw it. I'm taking the whole country. Mm-hmm. I think, I actually think that was his goal. I'm taking the entire country and I'm going to do with it what I want to do with it. But then he ran into Ukrainian resistance that he did not expect. So that is pushing him back into this juggling match of, do I continue this? Mm. If this turns into Grozny, the blowback that we'll receive for decades, they will not recover from yeah. that economically. Um, or does he go back to his original plan and say, okay, fine, I'll halt, but this is what I want. I know That's what he's juggling. I know we're running long here, but let me give you one, one quick one here. The, the 
if this happens, right, the, he decides, OK, this isn't going well enough, too much cost. I want to go back. I'll take these territories. Somehow Ukraine agrees to this. I think it's it's a long shot. But, hey, you know, I mean, they don't want their people dead. They don't want their cities destroyed. So maybe they do. But that doesn't mean Russia comes back to full-fledged member of the international economic community. No. Like these, these sanctions either all stay or most of them stay. This is going to be incredibly damaging for Putin and not at all worth it. He already had controls of these regions. Yes, uh, a, a huge miscalculation. Mm. That they will. I don't know when they recover from this. I really don't. Like Russia, I said in the beginning a while back that Russia in the, the short term will probably prevail here. Now that's kind of up in question, really. Mm. But the odds are that he will prevail in the yeah, short term. I still think he, if he wants to win and dump enough resources in, he can Just win. Just keep so. putting in some yeah. more soldiers, more soldiers. But in the long run, he's lost. Mm. So I, it, it, it kind of goes back to the old Soviet Union days. You know, will, will he go on vacation and then he just never comes back and you find out <laughs> the modern day Politburo in Russia said, eh, you know, he's going to go live in his gazillion dollar mansion and we have this guy now as the leader. Well, he that's a very real possibility. He reportedly has his 38 year old girlfriend in Switzerland. So maybe that's where he goes on vacation. And then we don't we all do. Yeah, well, yeah. Where else do you stash him? <laughs> yeah, right? right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Who's with me? Uh, Jason Buttrell, head writer and researcher for Glenn Beck. Make sure to follow him on uh, Twitter and we'll make sure to uh, keep uh, keep you updated on all this stuff as we go forward. Glenn, uh, thanks for coming on the show, Jason. I appreciate it. You betcha. Thanks. You know, we talked about the State of the Union last week, and Biden, look, he did a terrible job, as you'd expect. But the first part of his speech, which was about Ukraine, obviously he left out all the things that he did that we brought up earlier in the show to kind of, you know, further that whole situation. But there wasn't a lot of criticism, I didn't think, from the right on that. Like, you know, look, we are all hoping Ukraine uh, does well here. Russia is the aggressor. I feel like the right and the left kind of all come together, at least mostly, on that sort of central point. And the fact that we can help Ukraine without getting involved in a war, without doing a no-fly zone, without risking World War III, but if we can help with some money, with some supplies, with some weapons, there's a path there that most Americans agree on. Well, the Democrats want to take that agreement and shut it down. Um, Why? Because Democrats are setting up a clash with the GOP by pairing the COVID relief funds that they want with Ukraine aid. So we're going to give $10 billion or whatever to Ukraine. Instead of just making that nice and uh, open and shut case, let's make this easy. We all agree on the Ukraine thing. Let's send the $10 billion. Again, I know you might not exactly agree, but generally speaking, it should be an easy one from a nonpartisan perspective to get through. Instead, they're putting on another $22.5 billion in COVID aid. How much money can you possibly need for COVID aid? The, the, The pandemic in my view, has been over for, you know, a year. Uh, But in everybody's view now, it seems like it's over. So why are we spending another $22.5 billion on this? It's it's hard to imagine. Uh, Harder to imagine, though, I will say, is Andrew Cuomo thinking it's a good idea to make a comeback right now. Uh, I don't know why he's doing this. I don't know what his motivation is. He's got a lot of money. We've talked about this many times. He's got tons of cash to throw around to help other candidates or do something election related. He's running ads for himself uh, like, you know, like it's a sketch comedy show. He's like running ads. I I swear I'm a good guy without having any any campaign to run. Um, He is now doing uh, speeches as well. He spoke at a black church uh, this weekend where he... 
complained about cancel culture and gave the most pathetic, annoying, typical politician speak you could, speech you can possibly imagine. Watch. If you want to cancel something, cancel federal gridlock. Ugh. Cancel the incompetence, cancel the infighting, cancel crime, cancel homelessness, cancel education inequality, cancel poverty, cancel racism. Be outraged, but be outraged at what really matters, and what really matters is what matters to you. Ah, well, what matters to me is killing old people and groping underlings. So I'm kind of focused on the right things, apparently, according to Andrew Cuomo. Uh, As far as I know, by the way, those two things are crimes. So if you're going to cancel crime, I guess you have to cancel Andrew Cuomo as well. Janice Dean uh, points out, keep opening your mouth. You are showing the world who you really are, Andrew Cuomo. It's true. I don't want Andrew Cuomo silenced. I want him talking. Uh, Now, I will say it's really irritating to hear him talk because his voice is so dumb and I can't take it. But at least at least he's admitting things usually with some criminal element attached to them. I like that he's admitting these things. I like that he gets out there and he gets uh, caught up in his own words. One of the reasons why we uh, did so many shows on Andrew Cuomo and, you know, wound up doing, you know, lots of media appearances about it and, and, you know, going viral, a lot of our material was because we were able to look back at Andrew Cuomo and what he said. And at the time, no one was doing that. Very few. Janice Dean was one of the very few. There were not a lot of people doing it. So we just looked at what he said and exposed it. And that was enough because people were under this impression he was doing a good job. He was not, to be very clear. New York City is recovering from Bill de Blasio. And, you know, Eric Adams, again, he's never going to be a mayor that you like. I don't think he's going to be a guy that you're going to be like, wow, I'm so glad Eric Adams is. I want him to be the mayor of my city. However, for New York... He may be a little bit better than what they've had recently, at least. Um, they're now going to uh, get rid of the COVID mandates in New York City, um, including the school face mask stuff and also the, uh, the vaccine mandate for indoor dining. I have to say, even as a guy who has never, I mean, look, I've dealt with the vaccine mandates in various cities. If you really want to get around them, you're not going to have a problem, even in a place like California. I mean, it really isn't going to be that big of an issue of your life unless uh, your employer is doing it to you. And and we've seen people affected by that. I've got a great story I got to tell you coming up here in the next couple of weeks of somebody I know who went through this. But the bottom line here is that a lot of this stuff at the city level is fading away. It's fading away fast. This is a good thing. The people who made mistakes and uh, are not even mistakes, but the people who willingly looked past what was obvious and continued to punish our children at schools uh, need to be punished politically for this. And some of them, maybe even criminally, uh, Andrew Cuomo, Um, that going forward is going to be a really important part of this story to make sure that those people are held accountable. But in the meantime, it's nice to be able to walk into a restaurant. It's nice to be able to walk into a store. It's nice to be able to go to a movie. It's it's much better now than it was a year ago or two years ago. And that is something that we should, while we're holding them accountable for all the bad things and complaining about that, and that's totally fine, also appreciate that, you know what, your kid's life is probably a lot closer to normal than it was a while ago, and that's a really good thing. Now, if you're in San Francisco, your life will never be normal. As we talked to Michael Schellenberger about uh, this in his book, San Francisco, you see how crazy these cities are. And now it's to the point where people are just walking in and taking stuff. There was a story from San Francisco where a guy walks in, just walks behind the counter with the electric electronics with a plastic bag, and just starts 
taking all of the headphones, all of the uh, uh, electronics off and putting them in a bag and starts walking away. No one who works at the store says a thing. Of course, they just stand there and watch him like uh, I, I don't even understand how this happens. I mean, I was every time I went five miles an hour over the speed limit, I got pulled over. If these guys are able to walk into these stores and take thousands of dollars of equipment and no one says anything. Uh, but one person who was just shopping at the store decided to step up and say something to him and get in his face a little bit. Here's what happened. See the guy. They're kind of a little bit of a struggle here. He gets pissed off at him. And then the guy takes a banana and throws it at his head. A banana. The guy picks up the banana and chucks it back at him and nails him. And the guy goes over to the candy aisle, pulls up a bunch of candy, throws some milk duds at him. This is the... And he's, but again, just walks out of the freaking store with all the equipment anyway. This is absolutely bizarre. And I just don't understand how it continues to happen. I will say this, though. The only thing that can stop a bad guy with a banana is a good guy with a banana. This podcast desperately needs your help. Sure, did we put up yet another record last week? I mean, yeah, obviously uh, we did. Uh, but we, could, we would like to set a new one this week, and we can't do that without you. So please go and subscribe to the podcast. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars if you happen to rate and review it. We do really appreciate when you do that. Real facts. Thanks for keeping it real after Glenn's show. Glenn terrifies me uh, as well. Miss Pat and you together maybe once a week. That would be really fun. I know Pat's got a lot of cookies to, to uh, a lot of Kexi cookies to sell and to, uh, to bake. I think he does all the baking himself. That's my understanding. So I don't know if he has time, but I would love to have Pat on. We should uh, have him on it soon. It's been, it's been a little while. Uh, Sean says, Stu, I love you, brother, but you're buying into it. Stop calling him a her. I think he's talking about uh, Leah Thomas here. It's not being rude or impolite. This is a man abusing all women, past, present, and future. Every record he breaks is another slap. I don't, I don't know that I... I Bought into anything there? I think uh, we're on this pretty much the same page there. This should not be going on. Uh, so basically, Stu started all these liquor brand boycotts to do his personal power hour on stage. Yes, if you missed Stu does Russian vodka from last week, uh, our Friday monologue. Go back and watch it. Not uh, quite as clear cut as maybe uh, you've been told, uh, but you can comment on YouTube uh, at youtube.com slash America. We do really appreciate when you do that. Gets the algorithms going. You know what I mean? You know how like when you're supposed to eat a few, they say if you eat uh, several times a day, it'll keep your metabolism going. I have no idea if that's actually true, but that's what happens with the algorithms. If you comment, I really appreciate when you comment, like the show, comment on the show, follow, click the bell, do all the things, all the options that you can do because that helps us and we really do appreciate when you do it. Uh, Paul Bryan, our friend, uh, Paul Bryan writes in, he says, I kind of like the look without the tie clip. I just, look, this is day, what, three, four of uh, the tie clip uh, apocalypse? I've got no tie clip. It broke. Uh, America's held hostage right now. I can't even focus, but I do appreciate that, Paul. I am told this, however. Tomorrow is the day the tie clip returns. I think they're coming in the mail today. they got to get them all ready, whatever their magic they do with them. They put magic dust on it. It makes the show better. So sorry the show has sucked for a few days, but it'll, it'll get better next week. Okay, so here's what happened. The Movie House and Eateries, a theater chain. By the way, great theater chain. If it happens to be one near you, go see your movies there. Uh, But they were showing The Batman, and we really needed in America another superhero movie. We've been so short on them. Uh, But during The Batman, someone sees 
a bat flying around the theater. Watch. You can see a bat flying around inside the theater. Ah! According to the viewer who sent us this video, management tried to catch it, didn't have any luck. We're told that the theater did offer everyone a refund, but a lot of people didn't take it. A majority of the crowd stuck around, uh, bat and all. So, I guess everyone kind of just hung around, watched the movie with the bat flying around and uh, packed theater. Um, Later on, they tried to track this down. And how did this happen? They believe a guest brought the bat into the theater and released it basically as a prank. And if we've learned anything over the past couple of years, pranks with bats around food, oh man, they lead to really funny things. <laughs> the hilarity will ensue. Can't wait for that new variant, the Batman variant, coming soon to a theater near you.